0: Mother called her son one Sunday morning to make sure that he was out of bed and ready for church, only to be surprised by his response. He said, I'm not going. Oh, yes, you are, she demanded. So get out of bed right now and get ready. He said, Give me one good reason why I should go. She said, I'll give you three reasons. One, I'm your mother, and I say you're going. Two, you're 42 years old, so you should know better. And three, you need to be there because you're the pastor. We've all had those moments in our in our lives when it seems like our spiritual get up and go just got up and went. And the newness that we once experienced in Christ seemed to be a mere distant memory. As a result, the reality of living the new you abundantly is few and far between. The question that I want to challenge us with today is, is your daily life an expression of God's declaration that if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creature. You see God not only offers a new life. But Jesus said that the purpose. Of this life is that we would have a rich life. A satisfying life. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal. Kill and destroy. I came. That they might have life. And have it abundantly. It's quite clear from scripture that God is an advocate for newness. Throughout the scriptures we find passages of God declaring his favor of newness. He said to the children of Israel, through the prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. The apostle Paul says, put on the, a new nature. And be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and be like him. At the age of 71 and weighing only 50 pounds, Bertha Adams was considered a pitiful case. For food she begged door to door. She clothed her emaciated body with salvation army apparel. After spending a few days the last few days of her life in a nursing home, she died of malnutrition on April 5th, 1975, in West Palm Beach, Florida. After her death, however, authorities discovered that she left behind a fortune of over $1 million, which included more than $800,000 in cash, and several hundred shares of valuable stock which she kept in two safety deposit boxes in a bank. To think about the wealth she had at her disposal and what she could have enjoyed and to see the way she just wasted away until there was not even an ounce of life left in her body would cause many of us to exclaim, boy, what a fool she was. Yet there are Christians today who could be considered just as foolish because they go through life in spiritual poverty even though the Bible declares that we are joint heirs with Christ of all of the riches of God. Today we want to look briefly at what we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you today for a reminder of what we already know. Of what we have in you. We pray oh Lord that we may hearken unto your still small voice. And appreciate. What it means to not only have life. But to have it in all of its abundance. And appropriate it as such. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Living the new you abundantly. Involved the reality of practicing a promised new position. Of all the problems that plague Christians today, one of the greatest is guilt. It's an age-old problem that we continue to battle with. Where did Adam and Eve hide in the garden in the cool of the day when God walked in the garden? The answer, their guilt. Why did such a brilliant monarch like King David fall to his knees with a broken heart? The answer is guilt. Why did such a bold believer like Simon Peter run away into the darkness and cry like a baby? The answer is guilt. Guilt is a universal human problem. We all experience it. But picture this. The scene is the courtroom. The defendant, you and me. The prosecutor, the law that we have broken. The defense attorney, Jesus Christ. The judge, God himself. And the decision that comes ringing forth is not guilty. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, so now there is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. You see, the blessed assurance of Romans 8 begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. But in between, in between, We see that that an eternal new work means an external new walk. Where the unpleasant image of sinful flesh was once seen, a new portrait is now prevalent. And so regardless of what we face in the here and now, we can overcome because of the new position that you and I have before God Day. And so the question that I want to ask is, are you living the new you abundantly by living the new life with a new position? But well, that's not all. Living the new you abundantly also involves the reality of practicing a promised new potential. Now we feel good when someone says to us, you've got potential. Makes us feel good, doesn't it? It's been said that man was created a little lower lower than the angels. And he's been getting lower ever since. The daily newspapers testify of that truth. Whenever we pick up the newspapers, we see that fact. Because the natural tendency of man is toward darkness and death. Paul said, in Christ, we can change that tendency. Because Jesus not only gives us. A new position before God. But he also plants within us. A new tendency. Toward life. A potential for growth. For development. And for maturity. Though we often talk about salvation. As a once for all event. Not so. Yes. Conversion is an event. A moment When we are given a a new standing before God. But salvation is also a process that lasts a lifetime. And takes us from one level of glory to another. Paul says, therefore if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. As birth is not all there is to life, as a foundation is not all there is to a building. As a wedding is not all there is to marriage, so conversion is not all there is to salvation. And so it's an absolute fact that Christians are brand new people on the inside. Because the Holy Spirit gives new life. And we're not the same anymore. Paul makes it very clear that as Christians, we are not reformed. We are not rehabilitated, we're not even reeducated. What we are is recreated, new creations, because of a vital union we have with Jesus Christ. You see, at conversion, we don't just turn over a new light, a new leaf. We, are, we start a new life under a new master. And that being the case, what kind of life, what kind of behavior should characterize such a new life? Paul tells us. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 2, he talks about how this new life is supposed to be exhibited in our self worth. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into, the new, into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning, he says, Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. I don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will eat burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now imagine what life would be like if we lived out Our new potential as Paul describes it here. With a new position comes a new potential. The question is, are you living the new you abundantly by living the new life with a new potential? But there's more. Living the new you abundantly also involves the reality of practicing a promised new power. In addition to new and new potential Christ provides you power to realize that potential. Romans 8:11 The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and just as God raised Jesus from the dead he will give your give to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. What is available to us as Christians today is the same energy which raised Christ from the dead. Resurrection power. BTC may be powered by lime, but the blood child of God is powered by resurrection power. It is this power which makes the difference in Romans 7 and 8 so contrasting. Notice, in Romans 7, we see a spiritually defeated person crying, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? But in Romans 8, we see a spiritually victorious person declaring, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours in through Christ who loved us. What's the difference? The difference is the power we possess when we totally surrender our lives to God the Holy Spirit, Jesus not only gives us a new potential for growth, he also gives us the energy to realize that potential. He doesn't just give us a second chance. He also makes the power available for us to make something out of that second chance. And So the question is, are you living the new you abundantly by living the new life with a new power today? But that's not all there is to fully fleshing out your new life. You see, living the new you abundantly also involves the reality of practicing a promised new point of view. Or we might say a new perspective. Because suffering is part and parcel of the fabric of life for the Christian, life is not without setbacks. We all face them. However, in the midst of suffering, two insights enable us to keep on going. To make it through. Verse 28. Romans 8. And we know that God causes everything. To work together for the good of those who love God. And are what? Called according to his purpose. God doesn't just work in isolated incidents. But in everything for our good. This doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is good. Even though evil is rampant in our fallen world, God is able to turn every situation around for our long-term good. What we need to understand today is that God is not necessarily working to make us happy, but first and foremost to accomplish His purpose. See, it's also important to notice that the promise is not just for anybody. The only people who could claim this promise are those who love God and are what? Called according to his purpose. Because the Holy Spirit have convinced them to receive Jesus Christ. Such people have a new point of view because they have a new mindset. their, Their trust is not in worldly treasures, but in God. Their security is not on earth, but in heaven. When they experience pain and persecution, their faith doesn't waver but remains in God because they know that God is with them. So Paul is declaring that as Christians we can handle suffering because we know that God has a unique way of weaving all of our hurts and problems into a pattern which will ultimately work out into something good because we know that God is in charge of the present, we can keep on going in the midst of suffering. But there's another insight. Verse 18 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. How much shame could we possibly bear for Jesus on earth? Regardless of how much, it's it's nothing but a meager drop in the bucket compared to, with his impending public acknowledgement of us before the heavenly host in heaven that we're all looking forward to one day. Even the agonizing pain endured by the martyrs will seem like pinpricks when the Savior graces their brow with the crown of life on a day that we're all looking forward to. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, Paul says. Yet they, are, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So Paul declares that as Christians we can handle suffering because we know that the present suffering does not compare with the things that God has in store for us. Because we know that God is in charge of the future, we can keep on going in the midst of suffering. So the question is, are you living the new you abundantly? By living the new life. With a new potential. But finally, living the new you abundantly also involved the reality of practicing a promised new permanence. Romans 8, Paul catalogues all that threatens believers today. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted? or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? One of the most comforting promises in all of Scripture is contained in these verses. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. But notice what he says. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christians I've always had to face all kinds of problems and troubles and hardships, from persecution to imprisonment to sickness and even death. Such hardships have caused many people to doubt whether Christ had forsaken them or not. But Paul says separation from Christ is impossible because his death for us proves his unconquerable love. Nothing can beat it. To give us a feeling of total security in him, God tells us how great his love really is. If we believe these overwhelming assurances we will never ever be afraid in this world. During his lifetime, George Beverly Shea received a lot of many compositions with a request to record them. One song he received was entitled God's Grip Don't Slip. Now that may be terrible grammar but it's terrific theology. Because once we place our life in God's hands his grip will never slip He gives us prominence in our spiritual dimension What a chapter Romans 8 is Got to read it sometime No wonder DL Moody used to say I would rather live in Romans chapter 8 than in the garden of Eden anything The question is are you living the new you abundantly By living the new life with a new permanence. Living the new you abundantly involves the reality of practicing a promised new position. New potential. New power. New point of view. A new permanence. These promises are for each of us right now. Today. So claiming them today can result in a transformational experience of living the new you abundantly as God fully intended. The question is, will you claim them today? Shall we pray? Our Father and God, we believe we understand why you gave us not just life, but life to be lived in all of its abundance. You gave us a new position, new potential, new power new permanence, and a new perspective. Help us to appropriate that in our lives as we go forth, that you might be glorified and exalted. For this we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.